There's only a handful of people in the world who truly know how to sell something. The kind of people that know how to prepare for a meeting, walk in with the confidence, build a rapport, and close the deal. My business partner, Ryan Dame, is one of those people. Today, he's going to walk us through the six steps of a successful homeowner meeting. I'm Steve Schwab, and this is the Casa Cast. It's the Casa Cast, created by Casa Go. It's time for the show, let's go. All right, today we have Ryan here. Ryan, the co-founder and my personal business partner in Casigo International. <laughs> How are you doing today, Ryan? Hey, doing good, buddy. I'm happy to have you here. So we've been talking about doing this for a long time. Yeah. And uh, this is our first one together. I know, I'm excited. Yeah, so Casa Cast. You really have wanted to do this for a long time. Years. So yeah, more, Years. Than, more than just a couple months. This has been probably since we became partners. Yeah, yeah, we've been talking about this. So. Yeah. Um, well, today, you know, everybody knows that you're you are the guy who knows how to do business development and bring on homeowners, and you're just so great at it, Ryan. And uh, what we came up with today is the six steps to closing a homeowner, and we're going to walk through each one of them. Uh, and, you know, what I know from watching you is your pregame is so strong and important, and you put down for uh, number one pregame, which was fantastic. Tell me about the pregame. What are you bringing to the presentation? What are you bringing to the conversation? Uh, what kind of research are you doing? Can you give us a little bit of background on what is the pregame for a successful um, closing of a home, new homeowner? Yeah, I mean, I, I think this is a fun one because, like, maybe the best analogy. It's kind of like back when we were single. If you found if somebody's like, "Hey, so and so is kind of likes you or is kind of interested in you," first thing you do is like. I'm going to talk to her friends. I'm going to get on Facebook. I'm going to look at some pictures. I'm going to understand what she's into, kind of see if there's like a similar vibe. I think the pregame for home, like new homeowners is so similar to that. I think we have to identify, um, I go in and always make sure like look up the property online, find as many pictures as you can, find out when that property sold, how many years ago, what was the sale price, started getting an idea in your head. Hey, how much money does this owner have to make? What is going to be their carrying costs, their debt loads? And, you know, and if it had, if it was sold four or five years ago, like is it, has it been in a management program? Have they had a change in lifestyle, a change in family size, a job transfer? Like what are the things that are causing this to happen? So if you can do a little bit of pre-gaming on that, like go to their Facebook, find out what they're into, find out what their jobs are, find out what their career is. You find that this home is owned by two very busy professionals, then that's where you come in as the professional property manager. You know that their time is valuable and that they're looking for a pro, similar to how they are. If they're a retired retired couple, they might have a little more free time. They might be exploring the idea of doing it themselves. I think you can learn a lot on their Facebook and understanding, you know, some of that, you know, piece of it. And then once you have the persona of who that homeowner is, you know, being able to go in and like, okay, who else in my portfolio or my stable of homeowners has a similar persona to that homeowner. And if they ask for a referral, I'm going to find somebody that matches up pretty clearly with, you know, who they are, what they, you know, what their situation and, the, and the, that cycle of life might look like. So I think those are really important pieces. Um, I think the other part, obviously, like when it comes to professionalism, I think you would be shocked how many of our competitors show up empty handed, show up in a living room with, you know, a pencil and a pen and you know are just walking in you know claiming to be the expert but they don't have the documentation i think you know when you look at this as a true professional you know career as professional property managers um i like to look at us similar to a professional accountant a professional attorney people that want to hire professionals expect a professional appearance and a professional mm-hmm. output 
And they also want that confidence that they're hiring the right professional. So I think going in there with your projected revenue statements, um, you know, that have their image rich logos, month by month projected revenue, showing that you've really put an effort into the thought of it. And it's not just a business card that you toss across the coffee table, I think really goes, you know, a long way. And then I think in that pregame piece too, it's really important to identify like, how are you going to be meeting the homeowner? Is this going to be an in-person sitting on a living room meeting, a Zoom call or a phone call? Obviously, I like the priority in the order I just mentioned. If you have an opportunity to sit in that living room, you build that rapport, build that trust, get to walk the house in person, giving feedback um, is always the number one option. Video, um, Zoom calls, you know, um, there's some people that probably listen to this podcast that I've been on some Zoom calls with them to help close homeowners. Like having that face-to-face is, is always important. Um, watching reactions, watching what's resonating with people, I think is a part of that. And then obviously, lastly, is, you know, that simple phone call, um, building confidence that way. But, you know, identify what the presentation that you're getting pregame for is going to be. So you can, what am I going to dress like? What am I going to wear? What am I going to show up with? What do I need digital slides? Do I need print offs that I'm going to take to a living room? So getting ready for that pregame is is a lot of fun. That's great. So you've done your pregame. You walk in, you've got your proposals, you've got your contracts, you have all of your materials. Now it's time for the meeting. Step two, the meeting. How do you push that, Ryan? Oh, man, I think, you know, first and foremost, greeting that potential homeowner on that first, you know, on that first uh, interaction with them. Um, they always say, like, people make their judgments about a person and their companies within the first couple minutes. So invoking a lot of confidence, positioning yourself as the expert in the industry, not talking bad about the competition. But when you walk in or you're getting on a video call, clearly understand that you're a market leader, clearly understand that you're educated, that you're dialed, which goes back to those pregame things. Introducing Cosigo, introducing the team that is behind us. Um, I love when I hear, you know, some of our partners talk about, um, Tom Lyons as if he's working in the office right next to him, even if they're on the East Coast. I think that's where we build a lot of credibility in the meeting. And so getting instant credibility, showing them with the tools, resources, people that we have at Costigo um, is a huge part of doing that, letting them see that they're going to be part of something big, something that's been successful. Um, and then obviously the secret sauce, which is you as the property manager, boots on the ground, loving on the homeowner, showing that you're going to be a great steward of their house is obviously huge. Do you have any differences in how you approach it? Say, for instance, like if you're walking into the living room, you may take this angle or if you're like, say, on a Zoom call or a phone call, are there, is there any nuances that you should consider when you're going at it from two different angles or, or are they pretty much the same thing? You know, I, I will say one of the first things I like to do um, in person is to ask for like that nickel tour, right? Give me the nickel tour of the house, get eyes on it, identify any potential opportunities, potential problems, so that when you're sitting down, you're hitting some of those things with these homeowners really quickly. A couple weeks ago, Cameron, our partner in uh, Park City, well, we walked into a meeting with some of our QR codes and it was a new home and it was a really slick question that I asked, which was, hey, you know, Miss Homeowner, you know, you're obviously new here. As you come into this home, are there things that you just forget how to use or wish you had better instruction on and had her start naming those things? And then as she started naming those, it was like, well, those four items are really good. So this is what we do with QR codes. Here's four of these. Like these are we'll record for you to make sure that you and your guests don't have that problem. And it's like, boom, we're solving problems. We're identifying potential problems and no other property managers going in there that has even acknowledged that these could be problems and instantly yeah. we're fixing those, right? So walking through, 
to get a lay of the land gives you a huge opportunity to go into the right kind of conversation. I love that. You're already fixing problems before they've signed up. So who else is going to be able to do that? Yeah. You? You, they're going to go into the next, if they even interview another manager, it's like, well, these are going to be potential problems. Do you guys have a solution for this? And they're going to be, uh, well, you know, we'll put it in the arrival book and like, no one's going to have the QR video solution that, that she was just in love with. And so like already you're just putting yourself above what other people are doing. I love doing the same thing with like the guest ranger stuff. Uh-huh. Like who's going to be sleeping in your bed? Here's yeah. how we're going to identify who you're sharing your bed with. Here's who your neighbors are going to be next door to. You want to be a good neighbor, right? Like identifying potential problems like, hey, neighbors are your biggest source of complaints. You've got to make sure you're a good neighbor. Here's the tools that we use to make sure that you're putting the right people in your home. Yeah. And this is overly important and not a lot of people talk about it. So you're positioning yourself and showing them the AI, facial recognition, all this stuff early on in this meeting process you're already identifying things that they're gonna make that next interview, if they have one, you know, really tough for the next guy that walks on the door. I think you just named off three different USPs like in in like in t- two minutes, that's fantastic. <laughs> so you're in there, you're having a conversation with them, and then step three, you talk about the ask the why. What do you mean by ask the why, Ryan? The ask the why is like, everybody has their own motivations in this process, right? I mean, I think if you really take the personas of the homeowners that we serve, you've got the recreational user, people that, you know, they may, I'm gonna use Park City again as an example, because I like to spend time up there. I really like being in Park City for the summer. While most people buy a place in Park City for a ski location, I bought my place there because I wanna use it the summer and get out of the Arizona heat. Mm-hmm. I like to make money as well because I'm a capitalist and I like to rent it in the winter and I still go up and ski a couple times a year, but I really kind of, that's how I use it. Um, you've also got your you know investors that are strictly buying things on cap rates, looking for a return on the investment. And that's going to be a return on the asset itself through the rental program, as well as what they think the appreciation could be. Which, and I mentioned the appreciation side because that really comes back to the, the routine maintenance and things that we need to be stewards of as the, as the actual manager. And then I think you've also got this other persona of people that never bought it as an investment or, and or inherited it from a family member. Maybe it's a family trust. You're, now it's a couple brothers and sisters that own it because it was mom and dad's place. Um, so there's a lot of you know, um, maybe inconsistent outcomes or, or you know, what people want to achieve. So you're kind of almost like the trustee of the house and you're kind of managing this uh, this yeah. thing that's in a trust. So I think really understanding the why. And then I think there's this other person, this persona that I think is worth mentioning, which is the group that's like, man, we have this really expensive house. We don't go use it that often. It would sure be nice to get a set of eyes on it. I really don't want people sleeping in my bed and I really don't want people like using my stuff or seeing my things. But it sure would be nice to have a manager that I could call if there was an issue or if I need to get a package delivered or if I need to get the sprinkler lines blown out or, you know, make sure the toilets are getting flushed. And so really asking that why is do they really want a professional manager or do they want a professional housekeeper? Yeah. Are they in alignment with our goals too, right? Like 100%. We've had people sign up and we become the personal concierge instead of a property manager renting properties for commission, which is our bread and butter, right? Uh, yeah, 100%. Or they're saying they want to rent, but they want to set the minimum you know, nightly rate at a rate that is truly not market rate and will yeah. not get rented. So they say they, they're saying the right things, but they're putting blockers in front of us to really get the ultimate going which obviously if they read our creed and they know that we're owner centric, they're saying, Hey, you agreed to this. We told you what it was like, do your job because we're doing ours. Yeah. That's fantastic. Um, follow up. 
So you've asked the why, you've had the meeting. Uh, tell me a little bit about follow-up. Well, first of all, I mean, this is such a fun part of what I like to do personally in my professional career is sell. You know, when I look at living rooms and I look at closing and follow-up, I try to avoid the follow-up, right? I walk in there with the contract. I walk in there with the idea that I am going to have a signed contract before I leave. In that follow-up, though, the important things are to address any, you know, objections that they may have. I will say in the follow-up piece as well, is if you know more people are coming in mm -hmm. to interview with that homeowner, to ask them, like, is there anything that I didn't cover? Are there any concerns that you have that I didn't address? You know, what are your biggest fears about renting the house? And I, and I think the other part is, you know, making, you know, in, in part of that process, when I do interview, I ask people like, are you interviewing other people? And I always ask to go last mm -hmm. because of some of the things that we talked about earlier in this conversation is if you can show them things that no one else have showed them, it makes their process decision, you know, a little bit easier. I think in that follow-up, you want to talk about your pricing. You want to be fully transparent with your fees. Um, you know, and sometimes, you know, people will say, oh, well, you know, in their head, they're like, um, yeah, well, we've talked with a couple of people and maybe the commission's 5% less. So in the follow-up conversation, I love asking like, how did your other meetings go? What stood out? What were you intrigued by? Am I in line with pricing? Mm -hmm. And you know, do our commissions seem to be market and are they fair? And if people are like, oh, the so-and-so is 10% less. If you know your competitors well enough, you should be able to say, they have a fee structure that's like this, or they charge you a monthly fee, or they charge you a listing fee for this OTA. Um, so being able to kind of have that pricing conversation, I think, is always an important follow up, you know, to have when you're chatting with them. So, you know, often when we're looking to do follow up, I know that I struggle to remember, do you use Costa Grow? I think it's such a valuable tool for our, our teammates. Tell me about a little bit about Costa Grow and the triggers in there. Costa Grow is, you know, it's it's more than just the follow up side. I mean, that's the pregame as well. Mm -hmm. Right. Costa Grow system shows you from the get go when a lead comes in how long it's taken you to follow up with that lead, mm -hmm. even makes the phone call to your phone knowing that it's a new lead to make sure that things stay hot. In sales, we're you know significantly more likely to close somebody if we're talking to them at top of mind, right? Mm -hmm. If they're calling off of our website, sending in an inquiry form, and we're speaking to them live within 30 minutes, we're, we're made more likely to get them when they have time to have a conversation about management. So I think you know it is important. We've also seen deals in Costa Grow um, we had a great example of this in one of our markets that someone shared with me a couple months ago, which was somebody came on, they were fully ready to go. They were talking to our partner. They ghosted. They were just gone. They didn't stop returning phone calls. Our partner was really disappointed. So it went into the long-term nurture part of Casa Grow, which the long-term nurture is set to like hit somebody, you know, kind of a, you know, drip every 30, 60 days. Mm -hmm. And voila, this person called back to our partner and said, Hey, I'm so sorry. I, you know, I wasn't ignoring you. I had a house under contract. It fell out of contract. We're now under contract with a new home. I lost your information. I'm so glad I got your email. I'm ready to rock. They end up signing the house. So perfect example of how Costa Grow, you know, implemented correctly um, becomes a huge tool because yeah. I think if we're being honest with ourselves, Steve, you and I would never have made that call 60 days later going, man, it really hurt my feelings. I got ghosted. Let me call them one more time so I can have another negative experience. Um, so when you're doing things in Costa Grout, it's really helping you um, automate some of that process and, and save time. Yeah, fantastic. So we're into the close. I think you're probably one of the best closers in, in the industry. 
and really grateful to have you. Tell us a little bit about your closing. Tell us about maybe some of your techniques. Let's start with your favorite technique. What's your favorite closing technique? Well, I, I like a couple. I like a couple like questions, right? And I I think there's two things that I like. One of them is helping understand like some of these questions early on in this game are like, when would you like to have your first renter? Like, I think that's an amazing find out question. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, on a closing question, one of the things I like to back up to that is like having that more concerned tone of like, hey, Steve, um, so what happens if you don't get a renter by December 15th? Christmas is coming up. That's a pretty big rental, you know, week for you. Like, would that be okay if it didn't get rented? And then I think part of that close is like, because here's, you know, and this is where I love our Tom Lyons, you know, with data. This is where I come in and say, it's not just about when the contract gets signed. Like, you know, if if you say like, hey, you've got a couple weeks to make a decision or a couple months to make a decision. I like I like using the, the booking window, you know, terminology of saying like, hey, I just want you to understand from the time that you sign the agreement with us, we have a 10 day, you know, launch and onboarding process, which we can talk about after this. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it's not just those 10 days and then you're ready to rock because we have a booking window and our data today in this market shows that the average booking window is actually about 42 days. Are you familiar with the booking window, Steve? Well, let me explain it to you. The booking window is from the time that property gets viewed and booked to where that property, that first guest actually shows up. That's the that's what we call the booking window. So that's 42 days. You're talking a month and a half from when we go live. Mm-hmm. And I need that additional like 10 to 12 days to get live. So we're talking 50 to 60 days from when you can first expect your first renter. So I know that you said you thought you had a couple months, but it sounds like we need to make a decision really quickly if you want me to meet some of these targets for getting this first new renter. And so I like kind of like talking about what their objective is and then backing it into like, let's get a contract signed quickly. Um, I also love you're using you know, FOMO on that, by the way, the fear of missing out on the, those rentals. hundred percent. Right? Yeah. Like, cause that's what people think. I mean, I think they think they snap their finger and they put their pretty property up and it, it's yeah. done, but that's what happens. A lot of these cases, people take their time on their furniture or they go out, oh, we have months. And then they realize when you start talking statistically about booking windows, yeah. a, you're showing your sophistication as a property manager. You're showing your flex in the power of our revenue manager, like Tom and some of the data that we have. Um, you're doing data-driven sales for you know owners that you know when it comes to numbers, numbers are driven by the you know metrics and and the facts, and the facts don't lie, right? I mean yeah. that's where the booking windows I think become really cool. I love talking to homeowners about the booking probability, telling uh, them that if we're uh, uh, if we're getting close, your booking probability is going to drop down, and in order to to increase your booking probability, we're going to have to lower your rates in order to make sure that you get booked. And suddenly it becomes a matter of urgency to get uh, things started earlier so that we can get a higher rate and we have a higher probability of booking that property during the booking windows Love that. at those times. It's, it's really a great tool. Love that. Yeah. Do, do you ever use the uh, takeaway? Do you ever say, I mean, we're kind of talking about the takeaway right now, but do you ever take, use the takeaway or the hook or anything like that, those sort of closing? I typically, you know, I don't know if I, the takeaway is a little... I don't know if I use a takeaway because it's not like, hey, if you don't sign, I'm going to go sign your neighbor because I think most people know that's not necessarily the reality and yeah. you know of that. I, you know, I've come to love this term this last year of using like, you know, would you be opposed to? I love that mm-hmm. because I think it puts people in a situation where most people don't want to be by human nature. We don't like to be confrontational. Yeah, we don't want to be like, oh, I'm opposed. Like Steve, like you're mentioning something very reasonable, and for me to say I am opposed to that, Steve, I'm I am opposed to review that contract right now in front of you. 
and have you sit there because you're willing to. So a lot of times I like saying, hey, would you be opposed to me sitting here while you guys review through this contract and make sure there's no questions that you have? Most people are going to, instead of saying like, throw it on the shelf and wait for the next one, a lot of people are like, no, Ryan, I, that's okay, cool. <laughs> like it might be a little awkward, but yeah. most of the time, if you can get them to read that contract, then it becomes, hey, is there anything in that contract that would, you know, would make it so that you wouldn't want me to represent you as your property manager? Right. And then it gets them down that path of yes. And then without those objections, you can automatically do the assumptive sale, right? You can just assume. So are we have any objections? No. Great. Let's uh, yeah, here's the pen and you start know. writing the names in. And I think that's the biggest thing is, you know, contract sales are hard. And the longer the contract, the tougher it is. So I think asking the questions up front, getting them, hey, are you, would you be opposed to reviewing that contract right now? So if there's any questions, you can ask me while we're in person. And they're like, no. And so then they read through it and you're like, anything spook you or raise a question? Like, Okay, well, based on this timeline, would you guys be ready to rock and roll? I can execute this with you right now, and I'll, you know, and I'll scan a copy and set it back over for your files, and then we'll start that ten-day timeline and getting your house up and live. That's great. I love that. So, finally, you've closed the the deal. They've signed the contract, and now your your final step on this is the onboarding. Yeah. Why, why did you put onboarding down? I'm I'm kind of curious about that. Um. So onboarding for me is, you know, and I'll be honest with you, it's definitely my weak link on this, you know, journey that we're talking about, which is why it's so great to have great team members that, you know, really thrive in this piece. But onboarding for me is that's the relationship building piece, right? So nobody likes to be sold and then felt like they've been just dropped off, you know, or handed off, right? Mm -hmm. So I have some stuff in here about, you know, where I like on the onboarding side, I think it's A, First thing we do, if we're telling people it's 10 to 12 days to onboard the property, as the representative, the owner, whatever you know our role is in the organization, we have to make sure we're meeting the deadlines that we give. That is going, when you do not have a property photographed or live or distributed to those channels that you promised and they can't find it on VRBO, we lose instant credibility. And yeah. from then on, that owner will always be checking on you. They'll yeah. always be going to the OTAs. They'll always want to know why their property is not on the second page instead of the fourth page. But if you can come through on board correctly, get the your revenue management strategy airtight, your rates and your seasonality dialed in, distribution, it's on all the channels you promised, photos are dialed, you staged it correctly, you've made their home look like a complete showpiece and you've hit all of those things. I think that's why onboarding is so important because that's you living up to the word. And when you start your relationship, you've executed the things you've said, they're gonna be more likely to give you more leash, right? When you have this arrangement, when you ask for a couple bucks to replace a new rug, they're gonna be like, hey, Steve says that this is what he needs and that this will help. And Steve's always done what he said. Yeah. So like you have that credibility. I also like to mention on here a lot of times as the representative that's in there and having that relationship with the person, I love being able to like be the person to help call that owner, like for their first couple reservations. It's kind of that virtual high five. Like, dude, Steve, you just got a reservation. It's really cool. Yeah. It's great. It's a great reservation. No matter when it is, where it is, whatever it is, just telling them, like, having that celebration of success together, um, I think that's, you know, a, a key part of, like, having a really good handoff. I like to also bring in, like, reservationists in the office, like, hey, Susanna just got this killer reservation. I'm so excited for you. Congratulations. And starting to tie them to other people mm -hmm. so that, you know, you're not, you can move on to these, you know, acquiring of more owners and starting to do that soft handoff and giving your, some of your teammates and reservationists 
Yeah. I mean, maybe it came through Airbnb and Susanna was just the one that said, hey, yep, we've got your booking or have you, but like tying them to other people in the team, letting them see that it's a community around their house yeah. to get the job done, I think is a big part of that final onboarding. Stage. I love celebrating that first victory, right? Of getting yeah. that property. That's been, and you know, you're training them that they can trust you. The expectation of trust has been set from the beginning of the relationship, right? Yeah. You you told a story a long time ago about what trust is. I think it's your father's um, yeah. uh, formula. His formula can, for and trust. I know we're going a little bit off track on this. Can you explain what that formula of trust is and maybe how it fits into this? Yeah, yeah. The reason for the story is probably not something I'm proud of. It's probably because I broke a lot of trust as a kid with my parents, especially my teenage years. So my dad always had the, you've heard the proverbial like emotional bank account, right? You have your balances that go up and down. My parents were always quick to tell me like, hey, you just made a big withdrawal, buddy. (laughs) As I got older, and I think it was in college really, you know, we started talking about like what trust really is. Um, And it was interesting because he came back and said, you know, trust is actually pretty simple. It's a mathematical equation. Time divided by behavior Mm -hmm. equals trust. So the amount of time that we've been managing a property, generating revenue, maintaining it perfectly, that homeowner's had four owner stays. And every time they've checked in, we have done an inspection. It's dialed. We got the greeting card. We're just nailing it. Mm -hmm. Um, That's, you know, and and we've done four of those over a period of a year and a half. Um, you know, that's the time, year and a half, behavior, always dialed. What does it equal? Trust. Yep. That owner has a lot of trust in us. So what happens on the fifth time when that owner comes and experiences maybe, you know, a not perfectly clean home, the welcome letter is not there, it's not personalized, the air conditioner wasn't turned on, it's 100 degrees, there's not a warm welcome, as we call it, at yep. Casago. The level of trust goes down, but it's not completely eliminated. If that was the first experience in the first month of us being their manager, the trust would be very, very low. Yeah. You know, and so I think that's a really fun thing to do with, with, again, with these homeowners, the more you can consistently have the time and consistently execute the behavior, you're going to get trust. And after you get that trust, human nature is we're all going to screw up. Sure. Right. So I like the uh, phrase, you have to earn the right to fail. Yeah. So, you know, once you've earned the right through they trust you and now you fail they say they see that this isn't the normal behavior something went wrong yeah but at the very first time you haven't earned the right to fail yet right (laughs) i like that i think that's i think that's a great final step to this you know making sure that we set expectations for the homeowners and good six parts to bringing on a new homeowner and i think that's gonna be really fantastic for our entire staff We have one more thing we always do. I always ask, what's your favorite line of the Orange Credo and why? I think it's going to be hard not to focus something around being owner-centric at this point in the conversation, right? And so I think making sure um, to, you know, have the owner's eye and be, you know, their liaison. I mean, this is, um, it really doesn't matter the type of home that we're managing, right? If you look at, there's people talk about layers of wealth, like how much money is too much money. If you really look at what the business we're in, like it doesn't matter if it's a school teacher that is buying a small one bedroom condo that's their dream retirement condo or a multimillionaire that's buying an $8 million fifth home. Mm-hmm. Um, there's always layers to this and there's a layer of sacrifice um, that goes into and, you know, that goes into buying these properties and the level of importance, I wouldn't say is any less 
regardless of the house. Mm-hmm. So I think really having an, 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 you know, an owner's eye for what we're doing and understanding that regardless of the value of the assets that we're entrusted with, um, you know, the importance to the owner is the same. The, the amount of love that, you know, you use the term loving on homeowners, which I love. And, you know, the, the amount of love that they want, the amount of TLC they want, the amount of eyeballs on their property they want, it doesn't, it's not any less depending on the size of the property. It really is, you know, being owner centric. And I think, you know, if you look at listen to the word centric, it's the center, right? It's, it doesn't, you know, we're not giving one homeowner anything more than we would give the next. So really having that, you know, nucleus of being uh, a little bipartisan regardless of the type of property. If, if we've made the commitment to take on a property into our program, the amount of what what we're willing to do, you know, is you know is neutral and centric. Perfect. Hey, thanks, Ryan. I know we'll be doing a lot more of these. And yeah, uh, thanks again. It's the Gossip Cast. We're so luxurious. 